Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Elvin Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next hour is devoted to learning something more, not just about the world of shoes and ships and sealing wax, but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for the open-minded, willing to challenge some of those old ideas behind what we think we know, who we are, and who we might just become. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, our chat room is open, and my partner, Ravinder, awaits you there now. You can log on by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We do have a great chat room, so Ravinder, tell us all about it, please. Yes, we have the best chat room, a great group of people, stimulating conversation, lots of humor and jokes as well, and today's subject matter is particularly fascinating, so I think the conversation is going to be even better. Do come join us, provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Okay. In this week's spotlight, I wish to remind us all of an idea that I have posted in my office. One that, unfortunately, I sometimes forget. The title to the picture in my office is THINK. The word is used as an acronym, encouraging us to think before we speak. As such, the T stands for TRUE. Is what you're about to say true? It's not that hard, or it shouldn't be. But studies reveal the fact that all of us lie. It may be that we slightly exaggerate something, And it can be that we just plain make something up. It really takes guarding yourself from this one because most of us established a pattern when we were very young. The H in think represents the question, is what we're about to say helpful? Now this for me can be much more difficult than the former. I find that I often say things that are truthful, but perhaps not so helpful. I may find myself reporting on a conversation where a radio guest spoke nonsense and dribbled. This is a short failing of my own and one I intend to correct. And it's really the why behind today's spotlight. So, if you're a regular listener to my show, Provocative Enlightenment, you will find that I still ask the tough questions, but I will no longer point out the inconsistencies and the like. That's really for you to do. Now back to think. The I stands for inspiring. Is what you're about to say inspiring? This, too, is an issue where I admit difficulty. Some things in our world simply aren't inspiring. But I try to find a context that wraps the subject in possibilities that are inspiring. This one may be my greatest challenge. It seems that watching people get taken advantage of or played with like they are just tiny gears in a larger machine, and are treated like expendable units of gross production, and so forth, just irks me to the point that I sometimes want to scream to the masses, wake up. Okay, the in and think refers to necessary. Is what you're about to say necessary? Certainly not all of our conversations are necessary, but if you're about to say something, that might be the slightest bit negative, then this question is a great one to remember. This reminder shows me that just because you're aware of something does not mean that you have to show everyone that you are. Finally, the K stands for kind. Is what you're about to say kind? In my opinion, this one is the most important, even above not lying. There are times when a little white lie is much kinder than the truth. Kindness is in diminishing supply nowadays. Texting, posting, and the like tend to fail to express our true feelings, and as often as not, are misunderstood. And our society at large has become more hostile and less civil in many areas of our life. As such, the vitriol that one can find on sites like Facebook can astound us. But when we listen to our world leaders, our our would-be leaders, using profanities, expressing guttural references, and treating one another like they were trash, it's easy to fall in to a category where we copy the leader. 
The dignity of the past seems lost in today's world of instant gratification, sensation, and disposability. So today's message is think before you speak. I will do my best and hope that you will join me. Your thoughts on this one, Ravinder? I think that is just uh, wonderful advice. Uh, You know, it makes perfectly sense to me. I certainly try to do it all. I have certainly slipped up badly in my time, but I'm a great believer in being kind to yourself too. So yeah, there are times I've slipped up and I just make the resolution to do better next time. But you are totally correct. There is a great more, great deal more of the kind of vitriolic speech and the hate speech. And what what upsets me the most, actually, it is that it often comes from the direction of those people who are trying to teach compassion. If you don't have the compassion and the caring and the love in their category, they can be very vitriolic about it. And that, yeah, that, that upsets me a lot. But I think it's excellent advice. There's a great deal of spirituality in there. If you can't think of something nice to say, shut up. (laughs) You know, I think another thing that we need to pay attention to is when we're children, we tease people pretty easily. You know, that seems to be the game. We, We tease one another all the time. We become adults, and sometimes we say things in jest, or or, or we're teasing someone, but it's very hurtful, and that, too, is something that we really need to guard against. Absolutely. I've heard lots of instances where teasing has gotten out of control. You know, the first person teases, the second one responds, and it builds up, and then it enters those waters that are nasty. Very true. All right. Every week I read some of your letters as our way of involving you while paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. Last week our show featured Leslie Botha, and we discussed her book, Understanding Your Mind, Mood and Hormone Cycle. Elizabeth wrote, It's about time we had someone speaking up about population control, the birth control pill, vaccines, and the like, and all of the negative effects. CB wrote, so women have cycles that mentally take them out of normal or herd thinking. What do you think of that, Ravinder? Is that true? Do, do you find yourself moving I out of... Think, I think women are just born out of herd mentality anyway. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I couldn't resist. <laughs> All right. Moving on, Mark wrote, according to Eldon's article on truth, the so-called relative nature of truth is about values, not scientific facts. To discuss values, we have to put them within their proper context. A value is a concept that pertains to ethics. In turn, ethics is a branch of philosophy that pertains to human choice and action. Any given ethical system will have its own code of values and designate it meaning as to what a value is. The foundation of any ethical system is human nature. Are we born good, bad, or neutral? Do we have free will or are our thoughts and actions predetermined? If our assessment of human nature is false, then the ethics which follows will also be false, including its code of values. However, if our assessment of human nature is true, then the ethics which properly reflects that nature will also be true, along with its values. If we contend that values and hence ethics are relative truths, then there will be no way for us to judge the merits of such values. And as the article illustrates, one value will be as good as the next. And for many, such is the case. They have either implicitly or explicitly accepted a view of human nature that lends itself to such an ethic. So in order to truly answer the question as to whether or not values and ethics are relative, we must first correctly identify man's nature. That's a very good point, Mark. And perhaps we do need to revisit the notion of what it means in the highest sense to be human and contrast that with the lower base animal characteristics and then decide what do we want human nature to mean? And then we can proceed to establish some sort of universal value. Finally, Adrian wrote, I love your show, your books, and your Intertalk CDs. Keep doing what you do. All right, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today, but I do invite you to opine by sending your comments to Eldon. That's E-L-D-O-N at eldontaylor.com or by joining me on Facebook. And I want to thank all of you again for your letters and comments. We truly do appreciate you. Now to this week's show. 
more things you can do when you're dead. That's an interesting title now, isn't it? I've got enough to do when I'm alive. <laughs> yeah, but you don't want to do nothing <laughs> when you're dead, do you? I mean, okay. All right. So let me let me tell you a little about today's author and guest, Tricia Robertson. She's a former teacher of mathematics and physics, is a long-time uh, term council member, past vice president, and immediate past president of the Scottish Society for Psychical Research. She is a tutor for the Department of Adult and Continuing Education at the University of Glasgow. Along with many television appearances, normally in documentaries since 1990, she has also prepared and presented many papers to the SPR International Conferences over the past 20 years. She is the co-author with Professor Archie Rowe of three published papers on the study of information provided by mediums. These papers follow a five-year study of controlled experiments in conditions up to the triple blind. Tricia was a founding member and honorary secretary of PRISM, standing for psychical research involving selected mediums from 1994 to 2008. Apart from three published peer-reviewed papers in the Journal of the Society of Psychical Research, she has articles published in the journals of the Swedish and Norwegian Societies for Psychical Research. Tricia is passionate about the evidence gathered in various aspects of psychical research, and to quote her, does not suffer fools gladly who will not address specific evidence in any particular avenue. Close quote. Interesting. So on that, let's get her in here. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Tricia Robertson. Hello, hello. Lovely to talk to you. Well, I've been looking forward to speaking to you. This is actually your second book, uh, More is, Things to yes. Do When You're Dead. Your first book was, you know, What to Do When You're Dead. They, they're great compliments. Uh, they're great reads. And, and there's a good deal of, of uh, information in there that I think, uh, it, well, it gives rise in some sense to a bit of humor and in other sense to really you know, asking some significant questions. So Absolutely. to begin, Absolutely. please tell us about who you are, how you were raised, and what led you to the sort of investigations and work you do today. Well, very simply, I was fortunately not raised up in a very religious background, which was good because I didn't have any preconceived ideas about religion or life or anything like that. And I didn't really believe in God or anything like that until I was about 30, actually. And then I began to look out at these things in an intellectual manner. And after looking at the, all of the books, papers, doing my own research, I had to conclude there is something in this life after we die. The evidence, the evidence I produce in the books could not happen unless our consciousness survived physical death. And the most important thing that all of us have is a conscience and consciousness. And that consciousness prevails in what form, I'm not exactly sure, but you can be sure our personality does survive. My upbringing is very boring, as you say, a teacher. Um, everybody asked me how I got into this, and I don't know is the answer, other than an intellectual interest, to be honest. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, you basically challenge anyone with your statement that you yes. won't tolerate uh, those Most people gladly, that ignore yes. the... So what do you say to the skeptics that say, as they do about your book, uh, you ignore all the evidence to the contrary? Well, well, that that is just what, you, what you've said. I haven't heard anyone actually say that, but if anyone did say that, then that's an absolutely stupid thing to say because that's what the skeptic does. They go on television I don't, in any country, they hold up a very weak case, and they show where that weak case is wrong, quite correctly, and then they say, you see, there's nothing else in it. But what they do not address is specific cases like the ones I have in, in the book and in the research work on published mediumship that Archie and I did. No one has seriously faulted that research paper. No one. In fact, I have come cr cross sores with a couple of skeptics who actually had to back down when I faced them with the actual evidence that the, the, what, what 
that criticism is, is nonsense. That's like a double blind. That's like I'm talking about apples and you're talking about pears. If they address the facts and figures that I have provided, of course there are weak cases out there. Of course there are deluded people. Of course there are poor mediums. There are poor anything. There are poor doctors. There are poor car mechanics. But that doesn't address the nuggets of gold that actually show that survival is an actual fact. So uh, William James, Professor William James said, to disprove the theory that all crows are black, you only have to find one white crow. Well, I have found many white crows to disprove the sceptical theory. I don't pay a lot of attention to the so-called avisceptics because they will not address the facts. And I'm delighted if I'm asked to go face-to-face with them on anything because they will not win. The evidence is there if they address the actual things that I have in both of these books. And okay, I think, now of, I course did... of course there's rubbish out there. Of course it is. Okay, I didn't ask you a, a shallow question or uh, come up, make up something. I'm looking right now at rationalwiki.org, and I'm going to quote. Oh, well, you don't want to listen to Robinson in her book ignores any evidence of fraud in the medium she discusses. She has written no, that, that the Irish a- medium, Eileen Garrett, communicated with spirits from the R-101 airship to crash. However, this case has been debunked by Melvin Harris as a hoax. Now, I don't no, need to happens. go on, but clearly there are those that say you overlook the evidence to the contrary. So, I No, that is absolutely not true, and the case has not been debunked. You have to realize that Wikipedia is run by people with an agenda. The same as in our country. A lot of the, the television channels are organized by people with, with uh, religious backgrounds. Wikipedia is not correct. In fact, the, the Society for Psychical Research in London is trying to st- set up its own encyclopedia simply because Wikipedia will never say one good thing about any piece of evidence to do with survival or psychical research. They are totally and utterly biased. I am providing good evidence that I have found myself through research and etc. Uh, etc. Et I'm not discussing frauds. Of course there are frauds, but the R101 was not one of them, by the way. Of, of course there are frauds, but that's not what I'm discussing in the books. I'm providing pragmatic evidence because I have no uh, mediumistic bone in my body whatsoever. Wikipedia also say that I'm a medium. I am not. I'm a scientist. I'm a psychical researcher. So they can't even get that right. Okay, well, this is Wikipedia skeptic, but it's not the, I mean, there are articles in the Skeptic Dictionary, there are comments by people like Michael Shermer, but let's well, leave that, I, okay? I, read, uh, I, read, I do I understand did. that often skeptics are not skeptics, they are cynics. Absolutely. Uh, so I think, you, you know, we'll take your explanation for the moment, but let me ask you this. Have you personally ever seen or exchanged information with someone on the other side? Yes. Well, please tell us about that. Oh well, it, it's a it, it, w- it would be where to start. Uh, it's just there's just there's just so much there's just so much of it. The problem is with everything in this in the paranormal aspect. The paranormal covers a huge vista of subjects, and unless you stick to one particular subject at a time, we get lost in this myriad of information. Uh, well. Just for example, uh, Professor Roy, Professor Archie Roy, he died in 2012. Now, he was a professor, an emeritus professor of astronomy at the University of Glasgow. And two days after Professor Roy died, I had communication from him through a medium who didn't even know he was dead. And the information given was such that it could not be denied that that is the person that was communicating. Direct communication in what form? Through a medium, may I ask? yes. I'm not a medium, so I, I don't communicate in that sense directly. But I have in my life a couple of times, and I'm not, I'm not psychotic. Twice in my whole life, I heard a voice in my head tell me something that I, that I sort of said, "What?" And in both of these cases, it was something I had to check up, and it was absolutely correct, and it wasn't something that I knew before. Each of us. I can have communication. And every single person listening, if they go to a good medium or they're mediumistic themselves, 
can I don't like the word tune in, but you can tune into whatever this next consciousness and survival might be. The skeptics that you have mentioned are, as you say, are not skeptics. They're not scientific. Professor Roy started off as an absolute skeptic. So did Richard Hodgson, the Australian psychical researcher. He started off investigating mediums in a very skeptical manner, but had to conclude after all of the years he studied that there was indeed survival. Anyone with a scientific brain who will look at the evidence will need to come to that conclusion. It's as simple as that. If they don't, then their mind is closed off and there's, there's no trying to persuade them because they will not listen. One of, one of the arguments, and, and just to play a little bit of devil's advocate here, if I may, one of the arguments to support the notion that mind is not a local event Ergo, you know, we survive, our consciousness survives, or something, uh, goes to the root of Carl Jung's idea of the collective unconscious. Oh, yeah, so in other words, so. so. So, in other words, we all, you know, have the ability from time to time to tap into this collective, and okay. maybe inspiration comes that way, or maybe okay. we're guided in some unconscious sense to a serendipitous this, that, or the other, all because there is this as Rupert Sheldrake might say, M field, mind, yes, M-I-N-D yes, field, okay? Yes. All right, so is it book, possible that you're... Inspiration. Sorry, on you go. So is it possible that your message, this information that you receive, that you hear from this voice inside, is really coming from a mind field as opposed to coming from the astronomer who just passed? Yes, th- th- you're quite correct. And that, that's what everybody has to be careful of. You're quite correct that, that, that the information I received could be from some collective unconscious. I call it a digital library, for want of a better word. But the information, when, you get, when, when it is directly from a discarnate personality, you will get their personality. It will come in the form, in the words that they would use from a third party, ergo a medium who doesn't even know the person. And there is a difference in what you can communicate with, absolutely. You'll get some people who say they're psychics. They're not necessarily talking to someone that has departed. They are reading, for want of a better word, the aura of the person. They're reading the essence of you and gaining information from you. So you're quite right. There are many places you could get information from. But in the particularly good cases, for example, in both books, I talk about drop-in communicators. And a drop-in communicator is when if people are sitting in a circle every week, a spiritualist circle or sitting for communication, every week they want to hear from their grandmother, their aunt, their uncle, etc., and they have regular people that drop in to the to the circle. But on occasion, someone comes through the medium that nobody knows. The medium doesn't know the person. The sitters do not know the person. But the person gives such amount of detail of information about themselves, and often it's information about post-mortem happenings. They give such information that they can be checked up on later. And someone can go and find out that that person really did exist and what they said was absolutely true. Dr. Alan Gold made a study of this uh, in the 1970s and he wrote a wonderful document on the drop-in communicator. And after reading that, then you certainly have to get your mind working as to where that information came from. The only people that had that, the only person that had the information was the person who was now dead. Interesting. And now, your book, and, and if I am interpreting you correctly up to now, suggests that you believe the personality of an individual is more or less fixed. When, when they cross over, you recognize these people because their personality yep. doesn't change. Okay, look, we've got a break coming up. But when we come back from the break, my question is going to be this. Theories of reincarnation have us... In one lifetime, we're a male. The next lifetime, maybe a female. The next lifetime, a general, and we lead an army, and we're aggressive. Another lifetime, we're some kind of passive monk. That would suggest a great change in personality. So when we come back from the break, I'd like to have you explain your ideas about reincarnation, the validity of these personality differences, 
uh, especially in light of your experiences with the personality remaining constant. We're speaking with Tricia Robertson, that's R-O-B-E-R-T-S-O-N, about her life and book, More Things You Can Do When You're Dead. To learn more about Tricia and her work, visit her website at triciarobertson.weebly, that's W-E-E-B-L-Y, dot com, triciarobertson.weebly.com. Do stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. Do you feel like you've become lost in the funhouse, only seeing the reflection of yourself, past, future, and present, but unable to find the real you? I invite you to step through the doorway and onto a pathway leading to understanding of your mind, your choices, and the influences that surround you. Read Eldon Taylor's New York Times bestselling book, Choices and Illusions. Now expanded, updated, and revised, it will provide you with real-life examples of how you can break free of your current perceptions and begin your journey to How High Is Up. Get your copy today from all bookstores or online from Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Elvin Taylor. Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're chatting with Tricia Robinson about her life and book, More Things You Can Do When You're Dead. Now we ask our guests for their favorite music, music that has some genuine significance to them. Music psychology is a new hobby of mine. In fact, I'm going to be working up a book here pretty quick on uh, just how music does influence your personality. And it's a field of research with practical relevance in many areas, including investigations of human aptitude, skill, intelligence, creativity, personality, and social behavior. So, we just played some of Imagine by John Lennon. Now, we ask our guests to give us these songs, and one day, you know, their song and who they are is going to end up in this book, because we often get some very interesting self-disclosure. So, Tricia, tell us. How does this song instruct us about who you are? Why is it important to you? Well, when asked, I was put in a position to choose a song. And you were speaking earlier, just before I came on, about who we are as human beings. What? How did we want human beings to be? How do we want to treat each other? And I like to think that what, what I do proves evidence and gives hope for us as human beings uh, uh, for the future, that things will go on. And if you read the books, obviously we can't discuss it all, you will find from the books it all depends on how we treat each other while we're here, where you will end up when you eventually go over 
to another realm of consciousness. There'll be different levels of consciousness, consciousness for different people. And I think that John Lennon's song actually, it, it gives me shivers down my back. It, it just has that ring of truth to it. Imagine there's no heaven, even if I try. What, what, a, what a dire thought. But within that thought, there's a positivity. Yes, there is something there. And it all goes back to us as human beings, what we feel. A lot of these spiritual teachers teach us that feeling is the language of God. I'm using the word God for want of a better word, whatever the consciousness is that we aspire to after we shed off the physical body. I love it when a guest chooses a piece of music that is a walk of their talk or a talk of their walk. All right. Before the break, um, I suggested, I mean, many inform us of a life review and then a wheel of rebirth, reincarnation. The theory of re reincarnation, of course, gives rise to changing personalities because, as I said before the break, maybe we're a woman in one, a man in the next, da-da-da-da-da. We're supposedly, according to Eastern religions, we're working to escape the wheel of rebirth, moksha, and find nirvana. That would suggest personalities change lifetime to lifetime. So what say you about reincarnation and this idea of a fixed personality? Well, there are two different things here. For each life we have, it appears that we have a fixed personality. I have my personality just now. I, I'm not one that goes into reincarnation in a big way, but I know a lot about the good reincarnation cases. But it makes, it makes sense to me. I'm, there's a spiritual teacher called Silver Birch. I don't know if you know the work of Silver Birch at all. Silver Birch's teachings are so down-to-earth, practical, it's very hard to argue with them. It's, it's like an Eastern form of, of, of theory only done in a, in a very westernized way. If, if we have a soul, each of us has a soul, and only part of that soul is manifesting in Eldon Taylor just now. Part of Trisha Robertson's soul, or part of the soul is my soul, is manifesting as Trisha Robertson, a female. But then if we take the case, one of the cases in the book, Purnima, who was a little girl in India. Purnima was a very bright little girl, but she remembered her life as a man, Dayananda, in, a, in another life, in a different place, in a slightly different religion. Now, if Eldon Taylor is learning in this life now, Trisha Robertson's learning in this life now, and then we go back to our, our whole soul, wherever that might be in the consciousness, then another part of the consciousness breaks off and reincarnates in another physical body. You see, we give such we give such sway to our physical bodies, but the physical body is only a tool. It's like your laptop, but the software is your soul that's operating the laptop as far as we're concerned. And it makes perfect sense to me that you would have a life, as you say, as a, a lovely soft person, as someone not so nice, maybe someone that's got a bit of badness in them, or someone who's downright bad. And all these experiences go back into the whole soul of what we we'll say is Eldon Taylor or Trisha Robertson. And it's only when you get all aspects of life and living life. Now, don't even don't ask me what the purpose of life is because I don't know. Nobody knows. Uh, the Eastern religions covered it very well. You're supposed to learn. You're supposed to grow. You're supposed to lighten up your consciousness until you get to a stage where you do not need to come back again in a physical body and you continue your soul's journey wherever that other place might be. So it makes perfect sense to me that each of these people has a personality. The little girl Purnima, who was a lovely little girl, uh, she remembered her life as Dayananda, and she said to her mother, don't, don't tell anybody who I was because I had more than one wife when I was a man. She was well aware of what her personality did the last time, although she was just a nice little girl now working for her parents. In this modern day, she's still alive. She's still ongoing on that one. So none of these questions are easy. We're trying to solve the world and all its problems in five minutes, and we can't. We're just trying to get a handle on some of the pragmatic evidence that would lead us to think that when we die, we don't. Part of us lives on. Okay, let me, let me send this theory by you. 
I've heard it said by some mystics that, as you indicate, the Elden that's here, the Trisha that's there, that's only a part of the soul. That the yeah. soul actually can incarnate in multiple dimensions simultaneously. And that indeed it may even incarnate as an animal. And that further, say the... Well, let's say the Thomas Edison of Thomas Edison is still available to a, um, a medium, even if Thomas Edison is currently incarnated as Martha Mitchell. Follow uh -huh. me? Is, yep. is there any gravitas to that based on your own work and research? Well, what you're saying is Thomas Edison's dead, obviously, and his a part of him has reincarnated as Martha Mitchell. But a medium could still get information from Thomas Edison on the other side. I believe right. that is possible. I have no evidence for that, but I don't see why that would not be possible. So, it's and then could, could uh, you know, could I be, or you right now, could we also be incarnated in several different dimensions? And maybe in one dimension, I'm a dolphin or a porpoise, and a woman in another well, dimension. I, I mean, not, could I'm that all be going on simultaneously? Animals, I, that, I, have, I have no opinion on that, but as Ravinder said, I have enough trouble with the one life I have at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, well, I'm well. I'm a very simple person. I deal in pragmatic facts. A mathematician, a scientist. I deal with the facts as they come along. And that's, that's as much as I can deal with uh, at a time. The rest is only theory, speculation, and uh, sort of metaphysical. I'm not, I don't go into the metaphysical because I can't prove it. But I don't, I don't honestly think that hum we'll call it human spirit can incarnate as an animal. That is my opinion, and you're going to have lots of people disagreeing with me, and that's absolutely fine. But it's my own thought that human spirit cannot be an animal. Yeah, we've had animal psychics that would say otherwise. Well, but then again, you know, that's opinion. So let, let's do this. Let's address how a spirit might contact us, because you really do a great job at fleshing that out. And I and I well remember smelling my dearest friend in this lifetime after he passed. I would yeah. often sense his aroma uh, for years following his death. And he had a very uh -huh. particular body odor due to being badly burned over much of his body during the Second World War. Is this right. common? And, what, and, 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 and tell us what other ways we might, you know, sense the other side. Oh, well, there are many, many ways. As you say, the, the, most, the most popular one is smelling, for example, the smell of your grandfather's tobacco smoke, the smell of your mother's perfume. But you might be touched. You might feel your cheek being touched or the top of your hair being touched. I've actually had that. But when any, anyone uh, near to me passes, because I'm not mediumistic at all, I usually get it through electrical equipment. I usually get things happening to electrical equipment that cannot happen to electrical equipment. I get things going on that are not even plugged in. and that's it. But it's got to be meaningful. It's got to be within a certain time of that person passing. I've had lights going on that are not plugged in. And that's simply what they try to do, what your people try to do, your friends, your family. If someone passes and you're really missing them, they try to let you know they're okay. And that's how they try to let you know, by the perfume, by the touch, by electricity by movement of objects they might if someone had given you a particular vase you might find that vase is getting moved in your house and that's simply them saying look don't worry i'm here and everything's okay i just want you to to be fine they may come back of course as an apparition they might materialize in front of you which is much more scary uh they can do all sorts of things to let you know they're actually there once they pass, but they usually only do it once or twice, and then they go off to wherever they're supposed to be going. Because, as Silver Birch says, the spirit world is not a place of idleness. Everyone has a job to do. You know, when you say lights, I, I remember uh, the lights in my office at a given point in time, mm -hmm. just, you know, flashing intermediately, and it would coincide with... You know exactly what you just described, and yep. uh, my my dear friend who was alive at the time was also an engineer, 
and a heart scientist, and he said, what is that? And I had the sense of what it was because I could think, and then the lights would, you know, blink. And so yeah. I told him, well, I think that's, he said, oh, bull. <laughs> so he brought in, you know, a team of people to check out the lights, and the lights were all fine. But, hey, I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second because I'm also left brain. Our psychology is often predisposed to seek comfort when we lose a dear one. So yes, is it anything, possible anything that we're that interpreting time, I wasn't, these? I wasn't thinking about it. Say that again. I'm sorry. Anything that's happened to me is or has happened at a time when I wasn't even thinking about anything like that at all. I've been busy doing something else. And uh, when it's electrical equipment and, you you know, you're coming into a room, you're not even thinking about these sort of things. But uh, some people can actually hear the voice. Well, of course, there's no proof if no one else is there. And that is that is my my watchword, evidence. And I say to people, if there's evidence of any kind, get it witnessed, write it down, document it, because if you don't document it, it never happened. There's, of course, people read patterns into things. Of course they do. But I'm not talking about that type of thing. I'm talking about pragmatic evidence. For example, take, take for example, you spoke about healing earlier on. I made a study of two, well, ostensible psychic surgeons who actually can heal people and have betterment on their body in the form sometimes which would only be only happen with a, with surgery now these people that are doing doing the healing they they say they're not doing the healing they're a channel for doctors in the spirit world to work through them and effect healing on the people now i did pragmatic tests on that and there's certainly a strong case that some people can do that obviously there's a lot of charlatans as well but that doesn't matter some people can do that and there have been many scientific studies on pragmatic healing many when you say pragmatic you're using the word differently than i'm familiar with what exactly do you mean by pragmatic well it's like empirical it's a fact you know, if okay, if well, pragmatic has, refers to you know it works. So, what works. kind of science exactly. is it? If, what kind if of you science? Have a condition, or if you have a certain condition, and you go to a healer, and the healer lays his or her hands on you, and then when you go away, you don't have the condition. Then that's a pragmatic fact that you yeah, had, it, you've wait, had wait, that, that condition for five years, but, and now you but, don't. But that doesn't that doesn't explain the mechanism at all. That, oh, you know, I'm is this a psychological healing? I mean, there are folks that will uh, make a little doll and begin to stick it with pins, and people will die as a result of that. Uh, and that, too, is documented. But we don't believe that the pins are actually killing someone. It's the belief of the person on the other side. And that's the question I come to. How much of this is based on our perception, our desire, our our will to have it work? to see it a certain way? Well, some of the cases I speak about is the patients are children who are sleeping during the healings, and they don't even know they've had a healing, and yet they get better the next day. So what you're saying is correct, and this is what I was saying earlier on. There's so, it's such a vast topic that we have to compartmentalize what we're talking about. Yes, thoughts Thoughts are very important things. In fact, thoughts are the, are the biggest, the strongest weapon that each, and, each of us have. That is why we have to guard our thoughts. But also remember that all thoughts that come into your mind are not necessarily your own thoughts. Someone might be sending you those thoughts. And that is why another reason why we should have to behave like normal, kind human beings, as you were speaking about earlier on. It's if we don't do that, then we're snookered. The world is not going to be anymore if we're all going to be horrible to each other. But thoughts are very, very powerful things. But in the doll situation, the person has to know that someone else is sticking pins in a doll and then they affect themselves. That's a different thing entirely. It's quite different, the cases I talk about. Quite different. Okay, well, let's do this. Tell me about your triple blind study, because that probably will flesh this out better than anything else. 
Well, the triple blind study is extremely boring, and most of your listeners will probably fall asleep. But now, our triple blind study was over five years, and I'm not going to explain the methodology because it's far too long. But it, it, it was a situation where this, we had a room full of, say, 30 or 40 people. These people did not know who the intended recipients were. It was all done by seat numbers. Professor Roy would number the seats and I wouldn't see the room. I would be in another room with a medium that, that nobody knew who the medium was. I would get a knock on the door to say the, fir the, the first recipient is ready for a message, although the people didn't know who the number was. The medium would then speak through a microphone and give a message to that room, which I would document and write down. So the medium didn't see the audience. The audience didn't see the medium. The medium could not hear the audience responses. The medium could not see the, the audience's body language and so on and so forth. There were various protocols. It's far too difficult to explain on the telephone. But even using these conditions, the, the, the hypothesis we're testing was that all medium statements are so general they can apply to anyone. That's the hypothesis we were testing. But after doing five-year study, the conclusion was the hypothesis was nullified to odds against chance of a million to one, which are bloody good odds. But that, that does not prove survival. Our research work only proved that good mediums no, can give no. relevant information to intended sitters. But what, it does, do the, the, what it does do is it demonstrates that you are using a scientific method to validate the psychical um, information that yes. you deliver. And, and that's why yes. I wanted to go there. Okay, yes. listen. Um, what happens? I die. What happens yes. next? I don't know. <laughs> you, okay. I, you, well, somebody you, dies I, then. Okay. What happens when we die? Well, your your spirit, your soul, call it what you will, leaves your body, and it will depend very much on the kind of person you are. What happens to you next? But we it, we seem to know for sure there's always somebody there to take you over. To, well, that's not quite true actually. In 99% of the cases, there's someone there to take you over to the other side. And when you get over there, then, as you say, you might have a life review. You might say, Eldon, you were absolute rubbish in that lifetime. You misled people, you know. You're going to have to go back, do it again, try to learn this, that, and the other. Or they might say, Eldon, you're wonderful. You can go up the next ladder, you know, to the next level. And the one thing I can tell you for absolute certainty is... Each of us has a completely different experience when we die. There will be differences in each and every one of us because we are all different. If I've come here to learn patience, I haven't learned it. I have to come back again and learn more patience because I don't suffer fools gladly, <laughs> as you say. But it, it'll be fine. It'll be okay. But there are occasions where people can be earthbound and they don't cross over nicely for one reason or another. I cover that, I think, in, in book two as well. But these people can be helped by people from the other side and from people on the earth as well. So, and, and I've got so many more questions and we've got so little time. I, I'm just going to have to go to this one. So... <clears throat> What can I do when I when I cross it? Can I come back and harass folks on this side? And what about earthbound? Or what about all the negative energy, the the so-called evil spirits? Does such a thing exist? Well, I I don't talk I don't talk about good and evil. I talk about positive and negative. Okay. There are, if you're a negative person in this life, it might be through a bad lifestyle. It might be through drugs, drink, you know, too much drink. You might be a very negative person on this side. Well, you're not going to change. When you get over to the other side, you're still going to be that negative person. And you're going to have to realize what's happened. And they, you'll get help, obviously. And you don't need to come back straight away, of course. You know, you'll get a certain amount of education. But then you might... You might decide, well, I need to go back and make amends for all the things I did wrong, or it may be suggested to you, well, we really think you should go back and experience this so that you can grow when you come back to, to spirit again. But uh, that's what I say to people. One thing I do say is if you're holding, any of you are holding any resentment, anger, 
bitterness, hatred against anyone in the world. Let it go, because that negativity is going to eat into you and not do you any good at all. Let it go. Perfect. It's not important in the grand scheme of things. If you can Perfect let place for us go, to end our questioning. Tricia, we're about out of time, and I do want everybody out there to know how to get a hold of you, how to learn more about what you've done, how to buy your book, and, uh, and so forth. So please take 30 seconds and share that with our audience. Well, the best way to get all the information I've given you, including this healing study, is to go to the website, www.trisharobertson.weebly.com. You'll see all the information there. You'll see the, the research program part of it. You will see the 64-page the healing study. And healers, of course, they say we're not the healers. We're just a channel for the people that want to come through and help people still on earth. And last message, be kind to each other, love each other. It's the only way to go. Okay. And the book, More Things You Can Do When You're Dead, What Can You Truly Believe, is a subtitle. It's a, it's a fun read, and it's an inspiring read. So thank you for your work, Tricia, and for your willingness to share it with us. We've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank all of you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our show, and we'll join us again next week, same time and same place. And do tell your friends. Let's have them join us as well. Okay, until next time, wherever you are in the world, remember. You going to say it for me, Ravinder? Believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com.